Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, I want to buck the trend of conventional thinking and go against the grain and using Formula One as a model, ask the question, can we use kindness, something often seen as a weakness, to become one of our most competitive advantages? Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things. You only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that that's, that's a failure. Hey everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast with me Mark Priestley. I want to say a huge thank you for joining wherever it is you are in the world, whatever it is you're doing whilst listening or however you're listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you. Um, I got to say a big thank you to everybody who sent me messages this week who took the time to leave me a review in the Apple Podcast Store, along with a five-star rating. Thank you so much to all of you guys. I really appreciate it. It means the world to me, but it also makes a massive difference to this podcast and how we're able to grow it and share and spread the word further and further afield. So thank you for that. Please keep doing that. I really would be grateful. Uh, I need to say a massive thank you to Car Gods. Car Gods have been a partner on this podcast for the whole of season five, and I'm so grateful for them for doing that, uh, partly because we're so well aligned with each other in terms of our beliefs and our values. The culture at Car Gods, the, the very ethos that the, the business is built on, is one that's so similar to the culture that I kind of grew up in in my time in Formula One. McLaren's laser focus and attention to detail has so many similarities to that of car gods. And that was the very reason that we became partners, that we were so aligned with each other and it was such a perfect fit. Uh, By all means, please go and check out cargods.com. You'll see immediately from the website and from the products, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But if you ever get the chance to use their products or to see their products on display, to see them being demonstrated at any car shows you might be at, uh, you will absolutely get what I mean. The attention to detail is mind-blowing, and that's why they're a perfect fit for this podcast. So thank you. As I said, check out cargods.com for any of your car detailing or car care needs. They have the very best stuff that I know can benefit for you if you've got a car that you're proud of and you want to keep it looking smart. Uh, So thank you to Cargods. This week, as I said in the introduction there, I want to talk about kindness. Kindness is often one of those things that I don't know, you might roll your eyes. Some of you may have already rolled your eyes at me saying just that because everyone talks about kindness, don't they? We all aspire, I hope, to be kind, to be compassionate. I'm sure most of us, or I hope most of us, would like to think we show kindness and compassion uh, you know, in what we do in our daily lives. But I think if we're honest, there is probably an element to all of us where we have at times, or we do on occasions, show some unkindness, or we are less than kind on certain occasions. And that may be in the competitive world of business or sport, for example. Uh, It may be on social media. Social media is a really big platform for unkindness, isn't it? Because we have this unique ability to be able to be unkind if we want to be, or to be cruel, as many people can be, 
anonymously behind the veil of a sort of digital avatar where nobody gets to see your face. You don't have to really face up to the consequences of being unkind or showing unkindness in those kind of situations. It can be quite a toxic place in many senses because of that. But I'm not really talking about about that so much at the moment. What I want to talk about, and the reason I want to talk about this, is because I've got this question that's constantly in my mind, and it's been in my mind for a long time, actually, about how kindness marries up with a competitive environment. And what I mean by that is, if we're in a competitive environment, and business and sport are two great examples, which is why I just mentioned them, if we're in a competitive environment like that, striving to be the best, striving to get to the top, is there space to be kind, to show kindness and compassion, not just internally to your own staff, your colleagues, your teammates? Of course, we, we would hope we show it on those grounds. But is there room to show kindness and compassion to your competitors and yet still have that fierce passion and determination to win, to be the best? Can kindness become part of our strategy towards gaining the ultimate success or winning whatever it is we're trying to win? And of course, I'd love to say immediately, yes, of course it can. But there's a slight dilemma there, isn't it? It's like dichotomy because quite often in competitive fields, the very nature of trying to get to the top or to be the best means you have to outperform, outdo your competitors. You sometimes have to clamber over others to get yourself to the top. And on occasions, that can be just part of a passion and a determination to do well. It's part of the game. But on some occasions, it can spill over into unkindness. It can spill over into doing things that people might term things like underhand tactics, doing things which are deliberately designed to hamper somebody else because in doing so, it might open a door for you and heading uh, that might lead towards some sort of success. We see it in football matches all the time. I'm a big football fan. I watch a lot of football on television. And one of the things I hate most is when there's been a, a foul. Someone's you know committed a foul. The referee's blown a whistle. He's called a free kick or a penalty or whatever. And then the players on the defending team... They're gathering around the referee, waving imaginary cards in the air, trying to get that player sent off. Now, obviously, I know that there is a competitive advantage if your competitors, if your rivals lose a player. They're down to 10 men. You've still got 11. You've got an advantage immediately. You've got one more player on the pitch. There's an obvious reason why that might help you win the game. And if you win the game, it's another step towards winning the title and the ultimate success that you crave. Of course, I get all of that. But is it kind to be trying to get a competitor, another player, somebody who's trying to do the same thing as you? If you're a footballer, this is just another person trying to do their best. And they may well have made a mistake on the field and caught somebody late. But is it a kind thing to get them sent off, to try and go out of your way to get them sent off, get them banned for a few matches or whatever it might be? Now, I can probably already hear some of you saying, well, it doesn't matter. It's sport. You do whatever it takes to win. And I kind of get that. And it is the same in business to some extent. The most competitive people in both of those fields will do almost anything to try and win. And actually, if you're leading a business, if you're leading a company, 
and the rest of your staff, your employees are looking up to you as a leader, as an example setter, if you're willing to do almost anything to win, in some senses, (laughs) excuse my dogs outside the door, I think somebody has just, (laughs) somebody's just slammed a car door shut in the street, bear with me, I mean I could stop and edit this out, hopefully they'll stop in a minute and we can carry on. Right, sorry about that. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> um, yeah, so what I was saying was, in some cases, to see the leader of your organisation or the captain of your team, your sports team, being so determined and dedicated to winning, they're willing to do almost anything, that can be inspirational to some extent. That can inspire the rest of the team to go to greater lengths to win themselves. And I absolutely get that. But is there an argument? And this is what the point of I want to make today. This is the question that I'm posing to you that I want to explore. And perhaps I'd love your feedback on it, of course. But perhaps we can uncover some examples of of for and against in this, right? Because, yes, of course, creating an advantage by getting a player sent off or by getting somebody else penalised can create an advantage for you. And if that advantage then leads to you getting towards the, the success that you crave, well, the people in your organisation, they're happy. They have, they've ticked the box. They've won. They have got the success. They're all happy. They won't remember that day back midway through a season when one of your players was so vociferous in trying to get a player sent off that the referee capitulated and actually did send the guy off. And, and no one cares. No one matters. No one bothers about that because it ended up meaning that we won. As I said, the same happens in business. But... The other side of that coin and the question that I'd like to pose is, is there another way to generate that success? And actually, could it be a better way to generate that success without the unkindness along the way? And I want to explain what I mean by that. This came about because I was watching uh, the Grand Prix from the the US Grand Prix uh, last week on television. I, you know, I was watching the last few laps when Max Verstappen had got past Lewis Hamilton. And as many of you will have seen or heard on the team radio for many laps, the last 10 laps or so, Lewis Hamilton was constantly on his team radio to his own team, telling them that he thought Max Verstappen had crossed the white line. He'd gone outside of track limits. Both drivers were had already had a black and white flag. So one more breach of track limits would have meant an immediate penalty. And when Lewis Hamilton was told that over his radio, he went for the jugular. And every couple of corners, he was on the radio saying, Max has has gone over the white line at turn nine. He's done it again at turn 12. Turn 16, Max has gone over the white line again. You've got to get onto the FIA. That's a penalty. And his focus had shifted, at least in part, from driving the car to its greatest limits, to tracing and tracking down Max Verstappen, to focusing at least some of his capacity on trying to get Max penalised. And of course, I understand it to some extent. If Max gets a penalty, Lewis wins the Grand Prix. An opportunity that he perhaps doesn't have simply through the competitive nature of his car. Max has a quicker car and he has the advantage on that particular circuit. So I understand the psyche of a sports person who's willing to go to those lengths to try and win, to try and get the success thereafter. My big question here, though, is, is it possible to be successful, as I said, without that tactic? 
could Lewis Hamilton on that day have overcome Max Verstappen and won the race without doing those things? I don't know. Probably not. In the end, Max didn't get a penalty and Lewis ended up sticking behind. But my question and my thought process of that was, well, I wonder what the rest of the world is thinking here. If I was thinking those things, and bear in mind, I've worked with Lewis Hamilton. I have seen these things. This is not something new for Lewis. Lewis will go to all manner of lengths to try and get one over his competition, even over his teammate on certain occasions when the competition's been tight between the two. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable to watch and to listen to. And by no means is that something that's exclusive to Lewis Hamilton. Many of the drivers on the grid in Formula One have done it and do do it. Michael Schumacher was a great example, another seven-time world champion, and perhaps that's no coincidence, but he was willing to go to almost any lengths, lengths which would immediately hamper or hurt or hold back a competitor even to the lengths of being unfair about it because he thought it would give him an advantage. Now, I'm not saying Lewis is going to those lengths, but what I'm just saying is using that as an example, could there be another way to focus our energies and our mind and thought mental capacity on trying to create the advantage for ourselves that doesn't necessarily involve being unkind, but actually could be quite the opposite? Now, I'll just take you away from Formula One for a moment. I was lucky enough to spend a few days this week in Greece. I had a little short holiday with my family, which was lovely. And when I got to Greece, I got a hire car. I was driving from the airport uh, to the hotel where we were staying. And on the way, we're stuck in, uh, not traffic, but we're behind another car on this sort of um, two-lane carriageway. And this car in front of me was just right in the middle of the road. And as I sort of came up behind him and got closer and closer, my wife said, what on earth is this guy doing? He's driving straight down the middle of the road. What an idiot. You know, is this how they drive out here? And as I closed up towards this car, without getting to the point where I had to be hampered or had to brake, had to adjust my speeds in any way, I didn't have to flash my lights, I didn't have to beat my horn. As I started to approach the car in front, it just gently moved over to the right-hand lane and I was able to sail past unhampered. And this happened over and over and again. And every time I approached a car in front, coming through these mountain roads, even though there were two lanes, the guy in front was quite often sort of right in the middle of the road or just zigzagging across the road or taking almost the racing line through corners using both lanes. And I could see it from a distance, but every single time that I approached, I got close They just moved out of the way. They moved over into their correct lane and I was able to go past. And what dawned on me was if that was in the UK, where I'm from, if somebody was behaving like that, driving like that, one of the things that I know would be happening quite frequently is that people would be flashing lights. They'd be swearing and shouting. They'd be beeping the horn. They would be pulling alongside and shouting through the window at people. They would be desperate to point out that that person wasn't following the rules, that they were driving not according to the highway code, which says you have to stay in the slow lane unless you're overtaking somebody. And yet the way that they were driving in Greece just kind of worked. There was no necessary reason for that person to be in the middle of the road, but on some of those roads, the sort of tree line does come quite over into the the inside line of, of of the slow lane. And so actually to move out a little bit, 
just gives you a little bit more scope, a little bit more space from the trees that are sort of encroaching on the road uh, at certain points. So you can kind of get it. But my point was, there was no need for any aggression or unkindness on my part, because although that guy wasn't following the rules that we might be used to in the UK, it didn't hamper me in any way. And the system sort of worked because as somebody came up alongside or behind somebody, they moved out the way and on they got with our journey. Now, I thought about it and thinking about the differences between just using the UK as an example, England, where I'm from, behaviour on the roads is very different to that, both in terms of the way people drive in front in that situation, but also, and perhaps especially, in terms of the way people would be behaving if they were the car, like I was, coming up behind a slower car trying to get past. And if that person doesn't get out of the way in a split second, the aggression levels tend to rise massively. And it's a little bit like the social media phenomenon, isn't it? You can be to somewhat some extent protected or anonymous when you're sat behind the wheel of your car. Nobody's going to answer back to you. You don't have to face up to that person and have some confrontation. You can do it from the safety of your own car. You can jump on the horn. You can swear through the window. You can do whatever you like because you're in this little safe bubble of your own car. But it's that aggression and that desperation to point out that someone else is wrong. And I think that was the thing that struck me here. On many areas or in many areas and and sections of society, and social media, as I said, a great example of this, we are often desperate to point out when someone else is wrong. F1 Twitter, anyone who's on Twitter and a Formula One fan knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you see somebody who's made a mistake, if you've seen someone who said something that you disagree with or may even have made a mistake or a typo even, even if they just got it wrong by accident in something they've said on Twitter... The comments that are underneath that post are quite brutal in many cases. People love to point out when someone else is wrong. It's almost like they take some pleasure, some satisfaction from pointing out somebody else's mistakes. And it's almost as if it gives them an advantage to be able to put down somebody else in that same sphere. People might imagine or think it makes them seem better or more powerful if they have been able to correct somebody who's got something wrong. But is that kind? I mean, of course it isn't kind. Of course it isn't. Do we need to do that? Do we actually get anything from it? Not really. And actually, if you go back and think about what you've done, if you've ever done that, if you've ever put something unkind on social media because you've seen somebody have a, a bit of misfortune or you've seen them get them something wrong or they've expressed an opinion that you disagree with, Going in brutally and being unkind in your words in terms of your response doesn't do anything in terms of giving you a competitive advantage. You might think it makes you feel better in that moment, but actually if you go back later and reflect on it, does it really make you feel better? Or might it actually make you feel worse, that you have been unnecessarily unkind? And I guess you can hopefully start to see the the links here that I'm making between a competitive environment, which I appreciate has some differences, and society, social society, social groups, social interactions, where kindness is becoming more and more common in these digital platforms that we're able to communicate on today. Now, the question that I wanted to pose was, if we weren't unkind, 
if we were actually the opposite of that, and if we went out of our way to use that little bit of spare capacity we might have, mental thought capacity, thought process, if we were able to use that to be kind rather than unkind, what impact might that have in all of those scenarios? I mean, if you take social media, for example, what impact would it have on your life if instead of getting angry at somebody on Twitter and responding to a comment being rude, being nasty, telling them what they've done wrong, why they've done it wrong, why they're not entitled to their opinion, whatever it is you do. Instead of doing that, what if you took that same period of time, that same amount of capacity that you've used up, the energy you've used, the number of characters you used to to tweet that unkind response, what if you used that same time and capacity, the same number of of letters, if you want, of characters, but composed a kind tweet to somebody? What if you saw somebody on Twitter who'd done something well or something that you enjoyed, who had made you chuckle or made you smile with their post? What if somebody had had some success and posted about it? And what if you responded to that tweet with a kind tweet, telling them about how well they've done, congratulating them, telling them that they may have inspired you, if that's what's happened, to do something your own uh, on your own? Those kind of messages, and I can tell you from experience because I'm lucky enough to get those from you guys sometimes. People message me on a regular basis to tell me that they're enjoying this podcast, to tell me that they're enjoying what I've done or what we do on Wheeler Dealers. Those things are so impactful to me when I receive them because I know that somebody has had to take some time and effort out of their day, something that we don't have a lot of, spare in many cases. They've had to give that energy and time to composing a tweet that I didn't ask them to do, that they didn't need to do, but they felt compelled to do that. And the impact it has on me is it makes me feel great. It makes me feel grateful and it makes me feel like what I'm creating here in terms of this podcast is having a a positive impact on others. But I also wonder what impact that has on the person who sent the tweet. And I know this because, well, I know it from experience because I've done it, but I also know it because there's a huge amount of research into this subject in terms of what benefits giving kindness has on the giver as well as the receiver. Giving kindness to somebody, whether it's in social media or in real life in an interaction, giving kindness, the benefits to the person receiving that kindness are quite often obvious to some extent. It makes you feel good. If someone's kind to you, it makes you smile. It makes your face light up. It makes you feel like you've had a weight lifted off your shoulders. It makes you feel good. You get that little dopamine hit that makes you feel positive. It stimulates the reward and pleasure centers in your brain that give you that little boost, that little buzz that makes you feel good. So, of course, receiving kindness has a a number of obvious benefits. But actually, many of those same benefits apply to the person who's being kind, who's giving the kindness. There is a lot of research from neurological studies that shows how those same reward and pleasure centers light up in somebody's brain when they're giving the kindness, when they're doing or saying something kind. Now, if you suddenly feel good having given some kindness, there are a huge number of benefits, knock-on benefits that come from that, of course. Not only do you feel great, you feel good, and you perhaps get a little smile on your face, you get that little dopamine hit, but also 
because of all of those things, your behaviours can then start to change. Your thought processes will start to become more positive. They will change in a positive manner. And because your behaviours and thought processes change in a more positive manner, the outcomes from those behaviours and thought processes also begin to change. Now, these may be tiny little small hits at first, but doing this on a regular basis can have quite a significant knock-on impact to how the outcomes of what you do every day can impact the success that you're probably searching for in the first place. And the reason I'm saying these things is because if we refer back to this idea of sport or business, of this competitive environment where often being kind is seen as a weakness, if you've got capacity to give kindness to somebody else, you're not focusing on the job in hand enough. But actually, I would challenge that because I've just said to you that in the case of Lewis Hamilton, and again, I don't want to pin this on Lewis. This is not a Lewis thing. This is something that many sports men and women, especially perhaps the most successful ones, have as part of their makeup. But in that example I gave of Lewis, Lewis was using a little bit of his mental capacity during the closing laps of that Grand Prix when he's desperately trying to chase down Max Verstappen. He's using some of that to focus on the negative side of what Max Verstappen was doing, to focus on trying to utilise his energies to get Max Verstappen penalised. A little bit like the players in a football match trying to get somebody a red card in that type of situation because they see an advantage coming if they're able to achieve that. If they're able to take something away from the competitors, in turn, it will give an advantage to them. But given what I've just said about what happens inside your brain when you become kind, when you do things that are kind, when you say things that are kind, those knock-on effects of the positive changes in your mentality and physicality will also start to impact the outcomes of the success that you're chasing. Now, it may not happen in that moment. The kindness approach in the way I'm speaking here has much less of a short-term impact but much more of a long-term impact. So where Lewis Hamilton was desperate for an immediate impact in getting Max Verstappen penalised because in the short term he could see it would perhaps lead to him winning the Grand Prix, in the longer term I wonder what people think. I was watching that thinking oh come on Lewis that's getting a bit much now. Every single corner he was moaning and complaining about Max Verstappen. And as I said, we see it from many other drivers and sportsmen and women across all fields of sport. We see it in business as well. But I wonder if I was thinking those things about Lewis, were many other people thinking those things about Lewis? Were many other people rolling their eyes at Lewis moaning on the radio again? And if I was thinking that, were many other people thinking that? Were the people watching on television around the world thinking that? I wonder if his own team was starting to think that. Were they starting to occasionally, do people start to occasionally roll their eyes and think, oh, it's Lewis Hamilton moaning, moaning on the radio again, desperately just trying to get another competitor banned. And the same could be said for Max Verstappen if the roles were reversed. I've no doubt he'd be doing the same thing. But if people are starting to roll their eyes and think, oh God, Lewis is moaning on the radio again, just focus on the driving Lewis. Come on, try and chase him down, hunt him down, try and beat him on the racetrack. Don't worry about trying to get the stewards to win this Grand Prix for you. 
And I appreciate there is some irony in all of that. (laughs) But if people are starting to think like that, does that start to change their perception of Lewis Hamilton over the longer term? If this is something that's part of his nature, and it is, because as I said, I've seen it up close, I've experienced it, I've been on the end of those radio calls where Lewis is moaning about a teammate or about the team or about a competitor, moaning at the stewards. And I'm sure, as I said, many other people will have experienced the same in other garages up and down the pit lane. But at times, what that starts to do is change the way that you receive that information. Now, in the team, we almost take a lot of what Lewis says, or any driver, with a little pinch of salt. If they constantly, when they're under pressure and their emotions are high, if they're moaning and complaining, you have to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt. You have to try and filter out the moans and the complaints and the, uh, the, the, the trying to direct criticisms of others, you have to filter those things out and put it down to heightened emotion or whatever it is you want to put it down to. But over the long term, if that starts to happen, it's a little bit like the boy who cried wolf, isn't it? If somebody constantly complains and moans and you end up rolling your eyes and almost not taking it with the same severity that you would do uh, with some other people that might say something like that, When the moment comes, when there is a real moment, when there is a real reason to be critical, and it could be a genuine complaint, is it going to get missed? Is it not going to be received in the same way? Because you can bet your bottom dollar, the stewards, the FIA, Formula One, they're all listening to those same radio calls that we are. And over time, does it mean that the stewards or the FIA or Formula One might start to look at those complaints from a certain driver differently because they've heard it so many times before. And I wonder if we heard some kind of kind comment on the radio every now and again, if we'd seen a driver come on the radio and say, well, Max has got a penalty and Lewis had come on and gone, well, that's a bit harsh because actually I was following him at the time. and I I don't think he did step over the line. It was close, but I got a great view of it. And actually, I'm pretty sure he still had, you know, one tire on the racetrack. If that radio message had come from Lewis, which you could look at it as a weakness, because on one hand, there's a very slim possibility that if Lewis said something like that, I mean, in reality, they're not going to overturn a penalty they've given to a a Max Verstappen out front. But that might be something that would be deemed a possibility by all those in that competitive world, particularly on the Mercedes side. But let's just say in this hypothetical situation, a driver like Lewis had come on and said, actually, I think they got that wrong, guys, because actually, you know, I don't think he crossed across the line. But there you go. I wonder what the reaction would be to that kind of comment, both from the team, from the fans around the world and to all those stakeholders in the sport who have an influence over decision making around those kind of areas. If you had heard Lewis Hamilton say something like that on a radio, almost defending a fellow competitor because he knew it was the right thing, what would you think of Lewis? How would it change your opinion of Lewis? Would it change your opinion of Lewis? Now, I'm sure that stoic Lewis Hamilton fans, it won't change a thing because you'll support him through and through. But if you're one of these people, if you're a neutral and you just want to see great sport, you just want to see the best competitors battling it out on a level playing field. If if you're one of those type of people, I wonder if it changes your perception of that driver to one of really becoming a massive supporter because you've seen the kindness that that competitor displays 
out in the competitive environment of a Grand Prix. If you see a footballer telling a referee that actually the player on the opposition doesn't deserve a red card. He didn't do what everyone else is saying he did. He doesn't do what the referee thought he did. If you see somebody standing up for a fellow competitor because you know a decision has been made that was incorrect and you know that the right outcome was the opposite one and you're willing to stand up, put yourself forward and put yourself on the line to say that to the officials, what does that do for your image, the way that people perceive you, the way that people see you? And if you might think, well, that means nothing. The way that fans look at you, the way people see you, that's not really relevant when it comes to competition. I disagree. I think it is relevant. And I think that's why I talk about this as a longer term plan, a big picture plan. Because over time, if you start to garner support from people who believe that you're being kind, you're winning, plus you're being kind, I believe that support can have a huge knock on effect to the way that you end up performing further down the line. It might be that you start to receive a whole load of really positive messages on your social media, for example. When people meet you in the street, they might come and shake your hand and say, well done, that was the right thing to do. I've got your back. I'm with you. I've become a fan of you. If you start to receive those messages consistently over time, that can start to change your own perception of yourself. You'll get that little dopamine hit inside your brain on a regular basis. And as we know, as we talked about earlier, that changes your behavior. And your behavior, when it turns more positive, will turn to a more positive outcome. The knock-on effect of all of those things could just be that kindness consistently over time can become a competitive advantage for you because of all the things that I've described, because of the way that others see you, because of the way that your reputation starts to build. Other competitors will start to see you with that kindness as part of your character. You'll get respect, and respect can have a massive impact on the way that you perceive yourself. If you're respected by competitors and fans of the sport, by fellow businesses and fellow competitors in a business world, if you have respect from your competitors, that goes a huge way to boosting your own performance. Now, I know all of this stuff because it formed part of my training at McLaren, Part of the studies that we went through, the psychological studies we went through, talking about how these positive dopamine hits, these little receptors in the brain that light up when we do good things, both in terms of our performance, but also in exactly the same way when we do something good for somebody else, when we help others. If we win, but win in the right way, the feeling we get is a completely different feeling from the one that we might get through winning at the expense of doing something underhand, is perhaps the wrong way to talk about it, but doing something at the expense of others. Going out of your way to do something that's going to hurt your competition to enable you to win. The feeling you get at both of those checkered flags, both of those winning markers, the winning posts, the feeling can be completely different from winning the right way and gaining respect from everybody around you on the way to getting that success to the way that it feels when you win, having done things in the way that some of those ruthless competitors might have done it in the past. The Schumachers of the world, the Steve Jobs of this of the world, Apple. Steve Jobs was unkind on so many occasions. 
It's been well documented, but he was also brutally successful. Was he respected? He was respected for many of the things that he did. But actually, if you speak to anybody who worked for him, worked with him, not sure he had quite the same respect that we in the wider world have him revered for as some of the products that he's designed and the marketing genius that he displayed. His character, his personality behind closed doors, by all accounts, was very different. And I wonder if that changes the way that he's perceived, that he was perceived, and how other people around him perceived him. And I wonder how that impacted him at times in his life. Our mental performance is an enormous part of what we're able to achieve in anything we try and do. Of course, when we're talking about sport and actually in life in general, our physicality, our health, our well-being, our physical well-being, of course, is really important, particularly if we're doing something active where strength and physical ability is paramount, is a key differentiator. But our mental health and our mental well-being is as important, if not more important on many occasions. And we have the power to do something about that about affecting that in a positive way. And it could be as simple as being kind. And I have a challenge for all of you this week, and I want to do this as a bit of an experiment. I'd love you to do it. I'm going to do it myself. But I'd love it if you're on social media, and actually even if you're not on social media, you can still do this. Maybe you have an even bigger impact if you're doing this in the real world. But I would love it if we all, everybody listening to this podcast, over the course of the next week, Just send three tweets to people, either people that you know, or even better, to random people who inspire you this week, who you see doing something good, who you think deserve a little bit of respect. Instead of just liking the tweet and scrolling on, just spend 30 seconds typing out a little message telling that person what impact they've had on you, telling them, congratulations, well done. You know, that's a massive achievement that you've done there. You deserve all the respect in the world. And here's mine. Just telling somebody that they've done something really well or that they have inspired you to think differently. Sending three tweets like that, positive tweets, tweets of congratulations. Sending three tweets instead of sending any negative ones this week and just see what happens. See what happens, how it makes you feel. See if you get a response from those people and how it makes them feel. See what reactions come from it, both internally for you, but also externally. Other people may see that response and might respond to you in return. Just have a try, have a think about it. Spend some time this week sending three tweets or messages on Instagram or wherever it is you you work on social media. Send three messages to people of nothing but positivity for no reason other than to share some positivity to those people. Don't try and get anything from it, but just tell them how they've done something great, how good they are, how good they have made you feel or whatever it might be. Three positive tweets, three positive messages, or three interactions with people in the street and tell them that they've done great. Give them a little pat on the back. You'll be amazed what an impact that can have on both parties. And it might just be something that changes your performance further down the line if it becomes a habit. 
Okay, now I just want to say a big thank you to Car Gods. I mentioned it earlier on, but Car Gods have a have been a huge supporter of this podcast, and I would love it if any of you out there who are into cars, who are lucky enough to own a car, and especially if you've got a car that you're proud of, go and check out cargods.com. You will not be disappointed because they have so many amazing products. And I've talked, I'm going to say it again because I've talked every week about their advent calendar. Uh, Just please go and check out the advent calendar because it is incredible. And we are coming up to Christmas. It's the perfect gift for a car lover because it's filled with a complete range of the Car Gods products. And they are so good for every occasion. The very best that I've used, as I've said before, I've used so many in my capacity as a mechanic on wheeler dealers, but also in my personal life and CarGods products, 100%. And I am not just saying this because they're a partner. Genuinely, I approached CarGods because I use their products and I know how good they are. When I met them, they immediately struck me as being so similar in terms of our values, as I said earlier on. But ultimately, it's because their products are so good. So check out cargods.com and get yourself something that will not only make your car look good, but it will protect your car as well. And I cannot stress how important those little details are. Looking after your car will, it's preventative maintenance. It will stop you, in many cases, having to deal with expensive repair bills, having to go further down the line in terms of big, expensive, deep cleans if you just keep it clean on a regular basis. And these products make that job easy. So please go and check out cargods.com and let them know what you think. Send one of those messages of kindness if you like what you find when you get to cargods.com. Either way, go check them out. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be disappointed. Now, I want to close today's podcast by giving you an update. Now, anyone who listened a couple of weeks ago where I talked about a young lady who'd written to me who had been offered her dream job in Formula One, a job that she dreamt of having for many, many years, been working her way, desperate to try and give herself that opportunity. And the opportunity came. A Formula One team offered her a job, but she'd written to me because she now had this dilemma about whether to take it or not. And I won't go through that whole story because I explained it all in the in the episode a couple of weeks ago. Go and check it out if you haven't listened to it. But I want to give you an update because that same young lady, uh, after listening to the podcast, mulled the whole thing over and has given me an update on progress. And I thought you might want to hear this. I'm going to read a part of the email that she sent me. It's another very long email, which I really appreciate. Um, but I want to read a part of it and I want to talk about it a bit more. Uh, she says this. She says, um, after saying uh, hello and thank you for uh, what we talked about in the um, in the podcast itself, she says, I've got an update for you. On this occasion, I turned the role down. Yes. And then she says, was that a gasp I just heard? <laughs> I said, I'm sure that lots of people would think I'm crazy. So maybe, and maybe yourself included, but let me explain. And she goes on to say this. And I think the explanation is worthy of a little bit more dissection for us in the closing part of this podcast, because the next part says this. Firstly, what really hit home is how I need advice, advice on this in the first place. I'm usually a very headstrong person, but there was something from the beginning making me unable to make a clear cut decision. And as I think we said in the podcast, the very fact that she had to come and ask for advice just gave an indication that it wasn't an obvious decision in the first place. There's a little clue there as to the fact that it's not so straightforward as many people might think. So she goes on to say, 
Then, on listening to the podcast, I realised for the first time what it was. Having wanted it for so long and not reaching the heights of F1 for such a long time, tiny, imperceptible shifts had been happening, like those upgrades on the cars that they can't feel initially, but add one hundredth of a second to the timing sheet. In the meantime, I've been achieving in the areas that I was capable of, had good jobs, I'd made money, I had property that I'd bought. She said, and you made it all clear when you said that that was something to be equally as proud of. Now, she goes on to talk about a lot more, but that was a really key part of her message for me because, and a really important part, because what she's come to the conclusion of there is that Whilst she had a dream, and by the way, I'll tell you in a moment, that dream is not yet dead, but on this occasion, other things have been happening in her life, and she's re-evaluated what that dream looks like. The current situation in her life, although maybe a few years ago, would have seemed second best to what the dream was of working in Formula One, today that dream or that situation has shifted slightly. Her life has changed. Her situation has changed. And that happens to all of us, which is the very reason why we should constantly go back and check in with ourselves to make sure that the targets that we've set ourselves, the goals, the ambitions, the dreams that we might be heading for, we need to every now and again check that that's still the case, that we still want the same things we might have set out to try and achieve maybe some years ago. Because you'd be amazed how often these little tiny shifts happen. And actually, it can completely change sometimes the entirety of a dream, of a target, but also it might sometimes shift what that target looks like or when is a good time to achieve that target, how best to approach that target. The target, in fact, could stay the same, but actually the timing might completely shift. We might want to go at it from a different angle. We might want to go back and do some more studies and come into Formula One in a different place, for example. But this young lady goes on to talk about exactly what it's meant for her, because one of the things she was very keen to point out was that although that that... Um, situation has changed to some extent and although she's turning the job down on this occasion she goes on to say this isn't to say that the f1 dream isn't still alive she said in fact i think it's been reignited in an incredibly positive way and i've made headway to do an alonso style comeback in the future (laughs) she goes on to say a lot more in this email but the upshot is it the summary of it of it is that she is still going potentially to try and get into Formula One, but she's going to do it from a different angle. She's going to study more. She's going to learn more. She's going to get some more experience and try and come in at a different level. And I think that's hugely commendable. I think what this young lady has demonstrated in her email is that it's always worth just assessing ourselves every now and again, assessing what we want, but almost as importantly, how we want to go about getting it. Because it may look very different to the way we first thought about these things when we first set out on that journey. This young lady, I have no doubt, will achieve her dream, whatever that dream ends up looking like when she gets there. It may be that she just wants to work in Formula One and she wants to scratch that itch to see what it's like. But it may now be that she has higher ambitions within the world of Formula One. Oh, there's the dogs again. (laughs) Excuse my dogs. 
It may be that she now has higher ambitions in Formula One, and what she's doing is reassessing the journey of how to get there. She's analysing what she's got in life right now, what skills she's developed, what her life situation's like, what comfort and stability that's given her, what an achievement it's been to get to the place she's in right now. But using that stability, using that platform of having some stability, having money and a home and a stable situation in life, using that as a basis to go on and try and learn more and gain more experience that might bring her into that dream job of Formula One in a slightly different place, at a particularly, at a slightly higher level, somewhere where she might get even more out of achieving that dream. And I think that's something that we can all learn from. We should be doing this on a regular basis. Not enough of us do that. Many of us set ourselves a target, sometimes when we're young, and we feel disappointed because we never achieved the target in the way that we thought about it when we were young. We set a dream when we're 20 years old, and by the time we get to 40, if we haven't achieved it, we seem like failures. We seem like it didn't play out the way we visualized it all those years ago. But the reality is, of course it doesn't. How can you visualize something at 20 and, how it's, and know how it's going to look when you're 40. Life changes, we change, our experiences shape us differently. The things we learn, the people we meet, every single element of that changes who we are and how we behave and how our life looks. It changes the path that our life is on. And that's happening every single day. We have to navigate that path and we have to be flexible enough And we have to be aware enough to every now and again just assess where we are on that path. Forget the dream at 20. Forget what that vision looked like. You can still use that as a basis, but you shouldn't be so rigid that if it doesn't look like what it looked like when you were 20, when you're 40, you cannot see that as a failure. You take on board the things that have happened to you, the things you've learned, the person you now are with a few years more experience further down the line, and you reassess the path that you're on and the dream that the way that dream looks. What this young lady has done, I think, is inspirational, and I hope is inspirational to you. I hope it will inspire many of you to do exactly that, to reassess where you are on this journey, what that journey looks like, and where that journey is even heading. Reassess how you look at what successes you've had, what you deemed perhaps as failures and perhaps reassess those and don't see them as failures. See them as just a little stepping stone on the way to whatever success might look like when you get there. It may not look like what you thought it was going to look like, but it doesn't mean it has to be any less exciting, any less enthralling. It could be just as good. It could be even better. But if we take on board and utilise the extra skills we now have later in life, the extra experience, the extra mental capacity, all of these things, the maturity, all of those things can now feed into a new recipe for success that might give us something even better and even greater in the end. And that is something that could be massively exciting. This young lady is now hugely excited about a dream in Formula One. And how on earth could any of us have envisaged that, knowing that she's just turned down a job in Formula One? Yet just going through that process has reignited a passion and something that I'm almost certain will get her there. The fact that she had the awareness to 
ask for advice, to reach out in the beginning is also great self-awareness. She needed something. It wasn't an obvious decision like many of us might have assumed it should be. She had the self-awareness to ask somebody for some extra help. And that extra help, whether it's come from me, from her friends, from her family, from the people around her, many of the messages that you guys responded to that podcast, I'm sure also will have helped her in making that decision. But it was the self-awareness to actually put herself on that path and ask for the advice in the first place that has led her to where she is now, reinvigorated, new passion, and a new roadmap or a new pathway to complete this journey that she set out to try and achieve so many years ago. The journey now looks looks different. The dream may be slightly different, but it's no less important to her. It's no less exciting to her and actually maybe even more so. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful young lady. And I'm so pleased that she was able to share that with me and I was able to share that with you. And I hope that her story might help some of you to go on and do great things yourself, to reassess where you are on your own journeys. And it might just put you on a path to go somewhere slightly different but somewhere that might also generate massive success for you in the end. So thank you, and I wish you the best of luck. You know who you are, and I cannot wait to hear how that journey ends further down the line. Okay, uh, I think we're going to have to start thinking about wrapping this up. I want to say a big, big thank you, because so many of you this week sent me messages. I think I've got more messages this week across all platforms. Oh my goodness, those dogs. (laughs) I think I got more messages this week across all platforms than I have, well, for a long, long time, maybe even ever. And that was messages through my social platforms on YouTube, if you were watching the episode on YouTube, but also messages through the Apple Podcast Store. Those are the ones that mean perhaps the most to me because I know how impactful they are to the podcast itself. So please, oh, come on, dogs. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I think many of you know I'm recording these. And in fact, if you watch this on YouTube, you'll see I'm recording this in the shell of my house, which is still a building site. It's been a building site for well over a year, 18 months now. And it's, we're getting towards the end of the project, but it does mean that my dogs, I'm just having to shut them outside at the moment. They can't be in here. We're not living in this house at the moment. It's where I'm recording the podcast. And um, the dogs are sitting right outside the door, just basically waiting for me to come out. And every time anyone walks past, they go crazy. Um, anyway, listen, I want to say a big thank you. Uh, the Apple Podcast Store is one of the most influential places in terms of how the podcast grows. I know I say this every week, and I apologize if you're getting bored of me saying this, but it does mean so much to the way this podcast is received. The analytics show me that most of you are listening through Apple Podcasts. By quite some margin, most of you use that platform. Many of you use Spotify, and of course, some of you use others. But Apple Podcasts is by far the biggest platform. So if you're listening on Apple I'd be so grateful if you could take a moment just to write a very quick review. And if you've enjoyed it, give me a five-star rating. (laughs) 
and um, and it will just help this podcast to grow, to reach more people. And that, of course, is the point of this. We want the podcast to reach as many people as possible because that grows our community. And at some point down the line, I want to find ways to bring this community together. I'm carrying on, I'm carrying on with the dogs in the background. Sorry. Um, at some point in the in the future, I want to bring this community together through other ways of other means of doing that. At the moment, the podcast is to a large extent a one way street. Of course, I love your messages back. The feedback that comes back is really crucial. It's really important to me. But there are things that I want to do in the future with this as it grows to bring people together, to bring a community together, maybe through events, maybe through an online portal. I've got some, all sorts of ideas, uh, but I need your help to do that, to grow it, to make it bigger, to keep that interaction coming, to keep the feedback coming my way. And of course, Car Gods are helping with that because putting on events, doing things like that outside of this regular platform, well, they take funding. And Car Gods are being hugely supportive when it comes to that. So thank you to Car Gods. Thank you so much to every single one of you listening to this podcast. If you could take that challenge on this week, if you could just send three tweets or messages to people, if you're not on social media, send someone a WhatsApp message that you haven't heard from for ages. Just send them a lovely message. Tell somebody in your close circle that you love them that you appreciate them, that you're proud of them. Those kind of messages, they take you seconds, but the impact for them and for you could be enormous. And as I said earlier, it may well just start to impact your performance outcomes, not something that's an obvious association, but I believe it to be true. I know the science behind it because I know it from my time in Formula One. We've studied it. I've studied it since leaving Formula One. When you're looking for every single advantage in every single area possible of your life, of your competitive world, in business or in sport or anywhere, if you're trying to maximize everything, being kind, showing kindness, showing compassion, empathy towards others can go an enormous way to boosting the outcomes that you get, to boosting your own performance. Kindness is far from being a weakness. It could end up actually being one of your biggest strengths. Give it a go. I'd love to know how you get on. Send me a message this week. My DMs are always open. I'd love to hear your questions, your comments, your feedback. If anyone's got a question, like the young lady that we just talked about, that they'd like help with, advice with, they'd like discussing on the podcast, let me have it. You can send it to me on any of my social platforms on YouTube in the comments section or in the Apple podcast store. Wherever you like, send me a message and maybe we'll get into it next week. Listen, whatever you're doing, guys, try and remember this little mantra that I try and do my best to work towards achieving every single day. I'd love you to do the same. Check in with yourself at the end of every day and ask yourself, how close did you get to this every single day of the week? Try your best to do the right things and do the things right.